beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. We love uh, having you guys listen to this and sharing these episodes. It means a lot to us and also the people who come on the show and take their time to, to tell their story of their grief and loss and what they've been doing in the world. And so today we don't have Sean Ram, the uh, co-host, but we do have the lovely Jade Carling Black. So welcome, Jade. Good morning. Thank you for having me again. No problem. Glad you're able to do this. And so we have a special guest. And I got to say, when I listened to this guy's music, I was floored. I, uh, I don't know, people don't know, but I listened to Krishna Das a lot and there's a lot of like chanting. But uh, this is something different and it just blew my mind and I loved it. Uh, and so I'm so excited that we have him on here today. And so who is it, you may ask? It is Matthew Cosell. <laughs> and he is a throat singer, sound healer, multi-instrumentalist, composer, and recording artist. He has over three decades of experience as a performer and multidisciplinary healing arts practitioner. With his throat singing, overtone chant, and natural voice, Matthew has tapped into a universal stream of music that feels deeply familiar, yet new at the same time. The harmonic overtones of his voice, two, three, or more tones sounding at the same time, resonate to the core of your being expanding awareness beyond the physical body and five senses. Accompanied by a humble acoustic instruments and ancient technology, Matthew's live performances have impacted people from all walks of life, internationally from Canada and U.S. to Central and South America. Participants at his concerts constantly support receiving profound visions, dreams, insights, and physical healing. His music defies conventional labels and truly must be experienced to be understood. I think this is the big thing. It must be, you know, listened to. Um, you see, I remember you're saying something in your interviews, uh, Matthew, about with headphones or even just the live performance. It does something different. Yeah. Yeah, it helps to um, have a good quality uh, sound to um, really take in the experience and the energy of what's coming through the music. Amazing. So welcome to the podcast. Um, and I've read in your in your bio on your website you're are you were you initially from Chilliwack or like born and raised there or did you move no i was uh conceived in new jersey and born in alaska oh wow okay <laughs> i've been traveling from the beginning right so how did you end up in this like on this side of bc well i um I was blessed. I uh, met my wife to be in uh, at a retreat in Mount Shasta, California, in the summer of 1999. At the time, I was living in Colorado, where I had been um, since I was 10 years old. And okay. we uh, began we began a what was going to be a four-year long-distance relationship before uh, we got married. And uh, my wife was from. Uh, the Vancouver area and um, was raised on, in Euclid on uh, the west coast of Vancouver Island. And uh, but anyway, she showed up at the same retreat that I did at the same time, uh, just before the summer solstice of 1999. And uh, yeah, two universes collided and, and I ended up moving to Canada when we got married. And so here I am. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm actually from the 
um, Ontario, like Niagara Falls, and then the Toronto area, and I moved here in 2014. So I haven't been out here too, too long, but I'm, I'm always interested in how people end up in the Fraser Valley, and I meet a ton of people who aren't from here and have kind of, you know, migrated here through a variety of circumstances. So I'm always interested to uh, to hear about that. Uh-huh. So I wanted to move on to the music because, like I was mentioning before we started recording here, um, I was captivated by your music. I, it's so beautiful. And I instantly wondered whether, you know, what kind of led you to this profession? And, like, did you love music growing up, listening or playing or, or anything like that? Or how did this kind of... Share with us how this kind of came about. Well, uh, music was kind of like a, a lifeline for me uh, growing up, um, especially in my teen years when I was trying to make some sense out of this uh, crazy world and, and figure out how I could possibly fit in and contribute. And, um, you know, there was a lot of, um, conflict within my nuclear family. I was the youngest of uh, three boys, and uh, my parents uh, really good people, uh, and they're also from a completely different era. They grew up uh, during the Depression, and my father was a World War II veteran and um, had served in the uh, U.S. Air Force uh, for most of his adult life. And um, so there's uh, gaps in communication and understanding and, um, yeah, just this conflict. And we, uh, you know, it's given a, a spiritual basis uh, through going to church every, uh, or I guess I could say a spiritual foundation. You know, my family went to church every Sunday and I always, you know, had this, uh, I guess, inherent belief in uh some type of uh, create creator entity you know, which they call god and um i when i was about 12 or 13 i had this uh, very intense energetic experience at uh, a movie theater when our church youth group uh we all went to see a movie and afterwards they turned on the lights and and uh ask people, you know, if you want to give your life to God, come down and we'll pray with you and, and you know, do this um, Christian ritual. And I, I didn't plan on doing anything, but my I felt this zap of energy come down through the crown of my head and uh, just shoot through my body. And I felt like I was being pulled up out of my chair. I zombie walked down the aisle and, and uh, um, did their, you know, did the thing. And uh, I had no idea, you know, what, how, even how to describe what had happened to me. And, uh, there weren't any adults that I was trusting enough to, or comfortable enough with to talk about it. Um, you know, what I had felt. And, um, so it was, um, my only, I guess the only way I could try to try to understand it was to uh, you know read read the scriptures that they uh, you know the bible and and i just wasn't getting answers you know that that satisfied me and i had a lot of questions i was questioning 
you know, just the, the things that were being presented through that uh, particular lineage. And particularly, you know, I had issues with uh, just the concept of a punishing entity that, you know, if we do something wrong, we're not in the right club or religion, you know, that, uh, you know, we're going to be tortured forever after we leave this body and, or, uh, you know, or even the concept of a rapture that, you know, and a select few are going to be pulled out of here in a moment's you know, in the twinkling of an eye and everyone else suffers before they're cast into a lake of fire and brimstone for eternity. That just, you know, it scared me for a long time. And then I started to go, hey, you know, something's not right here. And um, among, you know, many other, you know, we could talk all day about about that. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it just wasn't working for me. And but I had nothing to replace it with. So I just kind of threw it all away. And uh, tried to self-medicate myself, uh, you know, through my teen years, and uh, and just to mask my emotional pain. And I, I was quite um, estranged from my parents. Uh, I was very, you know, angry at them, and uh, and also my older brothers. So, you know, just that feeling of alienation from my uh, nuclear family. It's just such a, a hard thing for anyone that has to go through it, whatever their you know particular circumstances are. But music, there's some music that just could take me to another place. And 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 then and then within that, the music that I was attracted to, there's music that just like seemed like it was coming from a higher dimension. And so this is like my lifeline and I really wanted to find a way to share what I was experiencing with others. And and sometimes, you know, there were just simple uh, events like going to a party or going camping and someone had a guitar and they're singing songs and just seeing how you could share that joy of music in, in um, random organic settings that really called to me. And so I wasn't overly, you know, I was not a prodigy in any instrument, but I, I did play a few instruments growing up, first piano and then trumpet. Finally, I picked up guitar and when I was in high school and started singing songs and, and really, uh, again, enjoyed that uh, experience of sharing music with my friends. And and um, so, and, you know, going, when ready to graduate from high school, everyone wants to know what you're going to do with your life. Well, all I could think of was, you know, that I really wanted to do was play music. So I, I uh, went to university for two years uh, as a music major. And uh, in my, in the second year of my uh, schooling there, I uh, switched my main instrument from guitar to bass um, because I also had a band on the side (laughs) and, uh, and we needed a bass player, so I picked it up. What was the band's name? What was, what was your band's name? Oh, that band was called Gibraltar, <laughs> and it was my my first, uh, you know, my first real garage band. And uh, yeah, nothing nothing happened with us. You know, we got to play a few um, measly gigs in our in Colorado Springs, Colorado, in that area. But uh, during that time, during my second year of university, I I actually uh, had moved back into my parents' home because my father was in the process of uh, dying from cancer. And um, one thing that happened during that time, uh, that particular year, 
uh, while commuting to uh, the university with my friend and, and bandmate, uh, I was really into Jimi Hendrix, and I was reading his biography. It's a book called Voodoo Child of the Aquarian Age. So my friend picks me up for a, for our drive to class, and I took that time to start reading the book again. And while uh, I turned a page, and there are lyrics to one of Jimmy's songs, um, kind of an obscure song called Belly Button Window, but I didn't notice that my friend had put a tape in the in the deck in the stereo. And but as my eyes started reading these lyrics. Jimmy was singing them in perfect timing with what I was reading. So, (laughs) so I, you know, that was like, (laughs) yeah, that was like major goosebumps. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, uh, Jimmy, God, what? You (laughs) You know, yeah. And then when you stopped reading, he stopped singing and you're like, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, that uh, that was just my confirmation. It was like, okay, I'm all in. Whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. You know, this is my path going for it. And uh, so my father passed away during that, uh, that fall of 1980. And um, after, after that, I, I quit university. I moved to uh, Denver, Colorado, which is the, the closest big city, and, and joined a, a rock band. And, um, so, you know, I was, I was chasing the dream as well as, you know, just that hope to, uh, hope against hope to create something that would, uh, make a difference or, you know, touch that transcendent realm. I have to say one of the groups that really, um, touched my heart and my the higher side of myself was, uh, yes. And there's just something about their the frequency that they operated at that just really took me there. And uh, over the years, I got to see them in concert five times. <laughs> and that, you know, it's delivered each time for me. It was just so ecstatic. Anyway, so, yeah, it, it, uh, it was kind of a rough start. Uh, you know, the bands that I played in were cover bands. So, you know, you just play in these cheesy bars and, uh, a lot of um, small towns around the the region and, and, uh, you know, sometimes in in the city as well, but uh, seemed to be on what they would call the B circuit, not the A circuit. And um, so in one sense, it was gratifying to be performing and to have enough money to eat and have some shelter. Uh, But it was, you know, quickly became apparent what a dead end that was. And, the thrill of, uh, you know, performing in these bars quickly wore off. And uh, so I decided I, I had to redirect my efforts into uh, creating original music. And uh, so I teamed up with one of my former bandmates who uh, was a good songwriter and a really uh, quite accomplished guitarist. And uh, we started co-writing songs together and, and uh, formed a, a power trio. and went out and so that was even less money <laughs> when you went to original music in Denver, Colorado back in the 80s, you know, there's just 
little opportunity. You, you try to get these showcase gigs and play with other original music bands and, and try to cultivate a following. And this is way before internet or any, you know, social media would come along. So it was uh, quite challenging to um, try to network these things. And uh, but I kept plugging away at it and had some great musical experiences and got to play with some really good musicians. Uh, a lot of them also quite dysfunctional in their own right. But to support myself, though, I, I ended up working at uh, a lot of um, really unsavory jobs, and uh, I was having problems with my self-esteem because of this. And I was also feeling quite socially isolated and. Uh, so, and also not having a spiritual practice, you know, I felt like this disconnect from my source, from spirit, and almost a, a sense of abandonment from spirit. And this was really weighing down on me. And I started to spiral into depression. Um, by the time I was in my uh, late 20s, let's say 27, 28, it was hitting me really hard. And I was uh, just questioning, you know, why am I here even, you know, how do I, what am I supposed to do? And during that time also, um, particularly in my mid twenties, I, I started to really yearn for my father and growing up uh, when, you know, I was 19 when he made his transition to the other side and uh, he, uh, we just didn't see eye to eye and and uh, I didn't realize until he was in that transition time that you know how much I really needed him and actually loved him so in one respect the length of time it took for him you know he suffered for a couple of years through cancer and uh, that was obviously hard to go through but it also did give me a little bit of grace to uh, to realize that I loved him and to tell him so, you know, before he made his transition and um, to really wow. feel that. And uh, I remember at one time I was probably 24, maybe 25 years old and, and I was just having a really down day. And I just, all I could think of was, God, I just wish dad was here. If I could just talk to him, you know? And so lunch break came and I just went for a walk by myself. And the moment I went out the door, I just felt his presence with me, my father. And, and, you know, I wasn't having a, an open eye vision, but I could, you know, in my inner, in my mind, I could see him next to me. And we had this kind of nonverbal um, conversation uh, during the whole hour. I just walked with him and just felt reassured and felt his love and strength. And, uh, you know, he was always there for us. He, you know, he did his best and I'm really grateful for all that he gave me. Um, and that day, that was just amazing for me. It was almost like having a, a waking dream. So, oh, hold but, on. That, yeah, <laughs> there's so many things I want to want to look at. This is an amazing journey. <laughs> I was going to say, so you had this moment. So I want to actually go back to just if you can talk about having that moment with your father where you resolve that conflict. Because I think a lot of people, when if it's not like 
a long drawn out sort of dying process, they missed that opportunity for many reasons. And so did, did you guys like talk it through? Is it, was it just like a feeling in your heart that you forgave him? Um, did he sort of say anything to you that was different? Like, did he change through the dying process too? Yeah, he started to soften, um, particularly in the, the last year that he was with us. Cause you know, he was, could be critical and, and uh, very authoritarian. Um, it's just, you know, how he was raised and, and lived, you know, his, his father and mother were uh, immigrants from Poland. They had a farm, you know, during the depression, these were hard times. And um, so they got by with what they had and he was grateful for what he had and he, you know, worked hard. And uh, then he, then he went in, into uh, military service during World War II as a pilot and then continued so as a, yeah. as yeah. And then he was um, in the Air Force, U.S. Air Force after that. And so, you know, he was doing his duty. And um, uh, even after he retired from the Air Force, uh, you know, he worked hard and just to try to provide for us. And, um, you know, looking back, I realized, gosh, you know, he was like, selling insurance and i know that isn't what he really wanted to do by any means but you know he did it for us and and um so he is really a solid you know good man in that way so you know as he's preparing to transition that starts to you know i start to be able to see how much he was actually there for us even though i i didn't like his personality (laughs) during a lot of those years um, yeah, and just him, him softening towards me as well. He, you know, he knew he was on the way out and, and wanted to, to love me and, and love my brothers. And, and, um, so there wasn't a real, um, talking things through. And, and I guess a lot of that is kind of like the mechanism that I, the protection mechanism that I developed as a child and adolescent of, uh, I just withdrew because I didn't feel like I was being heard or acknowledged or, or anything or seen, you know, in, in my truth. And, uh, and, and so I just withdrew from my family and, and, um, but you know, the, I got to cry on his shoulder, you know, and, and tell him I love him. And I'm so oh, grateful for that, you know, and, and to be there with him as he was, uh, actually passing. And I remember, uh, you know, at one point, uh, you know, he's being ravaged by chemo and the illness, and I, he asked me to help him take a bath. And so that was like a rite of passage, you know, as a 19 year old, you know, young man to uh, help my father take a bath. You know, it was just life was hitting me, you know. In an exchange of roles, too, because obviously when you yeah. were a child, he had. Um, it's just interesting the way that those things pan out and extremely humbling for everybody involved. And I think there's a sense of beauty in that. And it almost Absolutely. sounds like two, sorry, it, uh, it almost sounds like two you're describing a kind of an unwritten or an, an unspoken kind of, you know, you just have this, it's like you both just kind of understand. So it's not really like you have to say, oh, I forgive you or thank you for softening, you know, softening your edges. Or it's almost like, yeah, this is, the 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 eyes almost you know do all the talking and and the circumstances and and I've encountered that a lot in my life where you just kind of know that the 
dynamics and the, and the nature of the relationship has changed due to the circumstances. So I think right. it's very interesting that you say that. Was your dad supportive of your music? Well, I think all, both no? my parents were... My, both my parents were uh, happy to see that I found something that I really wanted to do. Right. <laughs> and, that, you know, I, I had some sense of direction. And, uh, and they, you know, they sacrificed and saved funds for my brothers and I to be able to go to um, university. And right. so, you know, that was going to be put to use, you know, something that he worked really hard for and sacrificed for. So, um, yeah, so he was encouraging, you know, again, I think more from a place of love than, oh, this is a good idea. (laughs) Right. It's like, I'm skeptical, (laughs) but if you believe in this, go for it and I'll support you because it's the ideal thing to kind of do. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard for people. Sorry, go ahead, Josh. I was going to say, did you ever play anything in front of your dad? Did he ever ask for you to play like Jimi Hendrix or something? No. uh, Well, um, he did like to listen to me uh, play and sing, and uh, and I remember one time, um, you know, when he was bedridden, he asked me, "Can you just get your guitar and just kind of play?" You know, I forget how he phrased it, but he was asking for like the most energetic music that I could think of, and uh, so I just brought it in and played for him, and you know, I was really grateful that he had asked, <laughs> and um, yeah, also. During that time, um, it was around, uh, you know, in the late 70s is when they first started to really document uh, near-death experiences here in the West. And uh, some books came out. And uh, uh, so, you know, my parents had bought some of these books, you know, of people's accounts of their near-death experiences. And so having these laying around the house, I, you know, we didn't talk about the books, but I, I picked them up and, you know, read through some of them and it, that made sense to me. And it was really assuring, you know, to feel like, oh, there is something, there really is something after this, you know, I thought so, but I was doubting, you know, and, and here's people talking about what happened when they had gone to the other side and come back. And <clears throat> as my father passed and I'm, you know, uh, would maybe be wearing some of his clothes or, you know, I had his watch for a while. And so I'm feeling him around me. I'm feeling his energy and, and these objects that were his. And, and, um, and then, you know, a few years later having this experience where I, it was like having a waking dream that was so clear and so real to me that he was actually there with me. Um, it was, uh, uh, very healing and, and yet without a, a real spiritual path or a practice, I, I, you know, I wanted more. I wanted, I needed to find my way and I didn't want to go back to church to listen to that, um, perspective again, at least from what I had experienced. So, uh, again, like doing without and trying to, uh, you know, find solace or, um, relief in, in music or, substances, you know, wherever I, whatever I could do to, you know, hide the pain. And, and so, uh, spiraling back to where I was, uh, 27, 28 years old, I'm starting to really get depressed. And, and I, it got so dark that I, I just, I hit a wall and I, I just realized I have to find a path 
I don't know what it is, but it, it's out. There's something out there. So I'm going to go look. And I went to a bookstore and I looked and looked and, you know, started reading. And, and but I, I found a book called Inner Power Secrets from Tibet and the Orient. And that spoke to me. I, I bought it and brought it home. And I learned about the human energy system from the, the Eastern perspective. This is where I first learned what a chakra is. You know, I hadn't even heard the term before. And I remember, you know, and, and learning about chi, the, what the Chinese call chi, life force energy, or the Japanese word is ki, uh, or the uh, Vedic or Sanskrit term is uh, prana. And basically, they all mean the same thing, this life force energy that permeates all of existence. And, and then from this book, also learning some meditation practices and breathing practices and martial arts exercises and restorative movement. I just ate it up. And, and I remember reading through the list of the chakras and as like every single and, and for those that are listening that don't know what a chakra is, it's our energy centers in our that connect the, our physical body with our energetic um different aspects of our energetic body. Um, <clears throat> as I read through the list of the seven major chakras, I, I had life experiences that I could relate to each of these centers and, and what they correspond to. And so I knew this was, this information was real. And um, so I had something to start working with there and, and, um, started, you know, practicing some meditation and, and I was having some, um, you know, experiences that felt real within a year of picking up that book. Next step was girlfriend brought me into a metaphysical store. So I, we went to this metaphysical store and as soon as I walked in the door, I heard this sound. And it was unlike anything I'd ever heard before in my life. It was really deep and earthy and kind of guttural. And I asked the person behind the counter, what's that sound? They, they had it really loud on the stereo. And she says, oh, it's Tibetan monks. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, I've been reading this book. <laughs> power secrets from Tibet and the Orient. And uh, so I was almost, the sound was almost scary to me, you know, but, uh, but I was attracted to it at the same time. So I bought a tape. Uh, You've got to remember, this is probably 1989 at this point. So it was a cassette <laughs> tape. And uh, I brought it home and started meditating to it. And, uh, you know, I, the sound really grew on me. It felt familiar. And I was trying to mimic it and I couldn't do it. And I, at that point, I didn't know what a mantra was. That these monks are chanting mantra, which are sacred, uh, sacred verses from you know ancient ancient scripture that uh, carries a certain uh, vibrational signature that uh, can help us tap into parts of our psyche and parts of the universe where they interconnect. And um, so I just listened and listened and tried to mimic these guys and, you know, kept playing in my bands and doing my thing. But, um, <clears throat> oh, fast forward another um, five or six years. And at this time, I was, uh, my day job was managing a nightclub. <laughs> it's 
um, and um, I'm playing in these bands, and I just, I just, I was feeling like I had to make a real change in my life to a more holistic lifestyle and spiritually oriented life, and so I was just yearning for that, and I was attracted to the uh, healing arts particularly uh, energy healing, like Reiki. I was reading books about Reiki and and uh, massage and shiatsu and discovered that I was good with my hands because I had compassion and, and sensitive touch. And, and so I was thinking about making this shift, but I was afraid to walk away from my paycheck as well because I've been through some hard times and valued that paycheck. Um, but uh, that summer of 1994, I uh, took my annual vacation from from my job and and took my girlfriend at the time camping um, in South Park, Colorado, the real South Park. And uh, we were hiking around and she looked up this one little mountain and said, I want to climb those boulders up there. And I'm like, really? I I didn't really want to go up this incline, but she did. So I followed her up. And on the way, I, I just started to notice how beautiful the colors of the rocks were and when we got to the top it was almost like something spoke through me because I've I've never imagined that I would ever find a crystal on top of a mountain but the words just popped out of my mouth I wonder if there's any crystals around here and then I turn my head and there's this beautiful quartz crystal gleaming in the sun all by itself no other crystals around it's just there and I went and picked it up and I'll tell you, in that moment, life changed because, well, first of all, I felt like I was being watched. Uh, It was kind of, you know, it was pretty surreal. Um, But when I went back to uh, vacation was over and we're driving back to town and I'm getting really starting to feel down, not wanting to go back into that toxic uh, nightclub environment. Uh, showed up for work the next day and my boss was waiting outside the door with my final check in his hand and he let me go. He couldn't afford to pay my salary anymore. And a couple of years later, he ended up just losing the club. He, you know, wasn't the best businessman in the world, I guess. Um, so, um, so I was, wow. we'll give you your, your out. Like, so like yeah. life, you're out. Wow. Wow. Cause I know like yeah. it takes a lot of courage to make changes. And he said, that's why yeah, like I, you're I so depressed. Yeah, you didn't have it in you that time, but you know, the life gave it to you, gave you what you needed. I think that's that's exactly. so beautiful. And then where did it go from there? Did you say, "Hey, you know, like I want to do throat singing," or was it just, you know, what happened <laughs> to get to that point? <laughs> yeah, it was still. Um, it had to percolate for a while longer. Um, yeah, I, I really loved the band that I had at the time, and I had uh, high aspirations for us, and. Uh, it, it, the very week after I um, got laid off from the club, <clears throat> we had already scheduled time to go into recording studio and record a, a demo. So we did that and it turned out really well. And, but then two months later, the band broke up. So that was devastating for me as well. And I'm just trying to figure out, okay, I have this ideal of what I, where I want to go and I'm not sure how to get there. And so, um, Long story short, a year later, I um, finally got into massage therapy school. And at that point, I just turned my back on everything that I had been doing. Uh, You know, I gave up on music and um, I just 
like I want to be a healer. So I, I um, just dove headfirst into that. And I, and my motivation, part of my motivation for getting into the healing arts was just to have a more spiritually oriented life and, and to have work that would be in harmony with my spiritual needs and that, you know, the two sides could feed each other. And um, <clears throat> so I went all in and um, <clears throat> one month into my schooling, I'd started my own practice working out of my home and um, yeah, I just knew a lot of people and called them up and let them know what I was doing. And some came and became clients and it grew from there. As soon as I graduated from massage therapy school, which is a one year program, I had decided to, I had an inspiration to start holding meditation circles in my home. So I would just clear the furniture out of my living room, invite people over. And we did this about twice a month for, ended up being, um, uh, another six years or so um, or longer actually. And so I, I still have some very good friends uh, today that I met for the first time when they walked into my living room and sat down for a meditation circle. Well, during those uh, meditations, I, I was leading, doing like a guided meditation. So I'm speaking people through various processes and levels of awareness and um, eventually I started to chant an ohm here and there in the middle of the meditation. And when I was inspired to just transmit sound frequency to express what I was feeling or perceiving in that meditation. And I saw firsthand how people responded to the, to that, to that, just the pure sound. They would tell me they, they could feel the sound moving through and around them and how things shifted. So <clears throat> that was my little bit of um, encouragement from the universe. I started to explore more and more and started to learn about vocal harmonics and, and um, how to create harmonics and overtones with the voice. So I was experimenting and playing with it and doing a little bit more and more sound in the meditations. And finally in 1999, uh, I saw someone demonstrate the Tibetan deep overtone sound. And uh, he said that some people would just pick it up after being around others who did it. And I knew that that was me. He was talking about me. And sure enough, the next day, I was able to do it to get that deep overtone that the Tibetan, certain Tibetan monks do when they chant. And um, so that was pretty you know, huge for me and uh, started to spark my creative fire again. And so I got my first uh, Tibetan metal singing bowl. And, you know, a year later, got my first quartz crystal singing bowl. And I think around that time, got my first harmonium. And uh, it just started to percolate and, and the creative uh, creativity began to come back. And um, so it's like music. I, I, I left music and music drew me back into it. Wow. That's uh, absolutely yeah. amazing for, you said like music to do so much just for you and for you to know the power just, you know, like personally and to be able to, to you're almost singing to music because it's done so much to you and you realize how powerful it can be for other people. Do you think, yeah. you know, like 
Um, when it comes to grief, like, have you ever had any people who are grieving that come into one of your, let's say, uh, workshops or one of your um, uh, performances and feel anything or heal um, in that area? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's been countless times when people um, felt like they made contact with the uh, um, departed loved one just while listening to my music and that's also happened while listening to recordings not just in the live events but uh, at the live events you know they had the opportunity to come up to me and 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 tell me what happened for them um wow yeah that, but that's that amazing happened. like i never i never would have thought that sound could be i know sounds healing a lot of people will listen to music as they're grieving but like this is almost like a healing kind of music um, it has like a different kind of um, purpose, maybe in the healing journey. So I think that's fascinating. I'd love to learn more about that um, when we have time, <laughs> because I know uh, yeah. this is where you got to go pretty soon. Um, so uh, I guess, is there anything else you want to say about uh, the musical journey before we switch over to dreams? Yeah, um, well, the the music um you know, my intention for holding the meditation circles was to hold a space where people could feel connected to the earth and to source or spirit and and to uh, create a space where we could open our hearts with that within that connection and really tap into the truth of our being and, and perhaps send our, our highest intentions, our deepest love out into the world. And that's what the music, that's the purpose or my intention behind the music. Um, I had one time I played for a group of people and a woman said that she had been through her own near-death experience and that she heard sounds in my music that totally, that she had heard when she was, you know, having this near-death experience. Another time, more recently, um, an older gentleman told me that he had had a near-death experience. And uh, in that uh, experience for him, he was, he found himself lying in a beautiful grassy field. He could see a tunnel up in the sky. He floated up to it and he was going into the tunnel and uh, eventually came back into his body. And he said, today when you're playing, I, I was back in that field. He said, I could see the tunnel too, but I didn't go to it this time. And uh, so I thanked him for not going through the tunnel. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that that just, uh, you know, frankly blew me away. And um, so, it, 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 again, it just repeatedly, based on the feedback I get consistently, I know that uh, I've tapped into something that is very primal and, and um, connected, you know, on beyond this dimension, rooted in this dimension and, and expanding beyond. So uh, cool. I'm doing everything I can to uh, bring it out to the world. Amazing. Wow, mm -hmm. I feel like I've learned so much about you in such a short period of time. I know <laughs> you have a very colorful story, and I resonate with parts of your story. At the beginning there, when you were talking, I was thinking, Jade, is that you? Um, because there's so many with organized religion and the use slash misuse of the substances and the, you know, discomfort, emotional discomfort and emotional disconnection from the family and not being seen in all your glory. And, and those are all experiences that 
you know, I felt like you just pulled right out of my life and experiences that I've talked about and written about and everything. So um, I just think it's interesting that people you've never met from complete different walks of life, um, gender, status, you know, everything is, there can be so many similarities with, you know, wanting to go home and wanting to find that, that place where you feel purpose and and loved and, and all those things. So really cool. And, you know, I appreciate your openness and everything. That's beautiful. What I am concerned with now <laughs> is, <laughs> for the sake of time, is dreaming. just want to know, have you ever had a dream of your father since he passed? Yes. Um, mostly this started to happen in my late 20s and um, in my 30s. Let's see. So, and I was 19 years old when when he made his transition. One in particular dream. I remember in this dream, I, it was so clear, and I was lucid. I, I I realized, you know, I'm I'm asleep, but I'm awake here in this right. space. And I was sitting at a, a beautiful table with my parents there, and my mom was still in in her physical form at this time. She hadn't left yet. Um, but they're sitting on, on one side of the table and I was on the other and the, I can still see the beautiful white tablecloth. And I was just telling my dad how much I, I loved him. You know, I was just pouring out my heart to him. And, and I can't remember any words other than, you know, just me telling them how much I loved him. But I, the feeling stayed with me. And there are other times where I, I saw him in dreams. Um, sometimes he was with our, our dogs, who had also our, our pet dogs that I grew up with that had you know left shortly after no he did. Way. And, yeah, and my dogs oh, were there. Oh, that's fascinating like, like, to me. Yeah, they they've showed up a, a few times, usually in in those dreams. So um, that was amazing too, because I really missed my dogs, and, and there they were. Yeah. Did, the, did um, the dogs talk to you, or what were they? What were they doing? They're just wagging their tails and trying to lick me, you know. <laughs> Aww. Yeah, 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 and uh, looking healthy, you know. Um, so, do you think? Do you think the, the positive nature of that dream was in alignment with where you're at in your grief? Because it seems really positive, and so I get the I get the feeling just from what I know from research and and stuff that it's it can kind of. Yeah, like the positive nature. Do you think that that you made progress in in your grief? Because you're saying like the first one you had, you were what, almost thirty. So is it ten years in between that, or? Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I think it uh, definitely was signifying uh, progress in my healing from from the grief and also uh, you know whatever wounds I was carrying from earlier in life and. The feeling afterward, you know, it's just a lot more peace around uh, in my heart, and um, and this feeling like things are okay, and that you know my parents are aware, and my dad was aware of me, and that you know he supported me and, and loved me, and there's a deeper understanding of each other. Um, I did a ritual one year. And, and by the way, I don't have to stop right at uh, noon. So when you go over, it's okay. <laughs> you got me going here. <laughs> but, yeah. um, one year, uh, I think I was in my mid thirties, and uh, it was around Halloween. And you know, in a lot of traditions, they say that uh, you know, on 
those days around All Souls Day or or um, what we call Halloween, that the veil is thin, you know, between the worlds. And so I sat down and I just wrote a letter to my dad. And it was just like a stream of consciousness. I didn't, you know, compose the letter. I just like was just writing and pouring my heart out. And then I held it in my hands when I felt like I was done and felt like, you know, I just put some Reiki energy into the piece of paper and then I burned it. And that to me was a very powerful experience. And I so felt my father with me during the whole process of writing the letter and then, you know, holding it and then burning it. It felt like it was totally received. And, um, I would encourage anyone who, you know, has experienced loss and felt like, you know, there are things left unsaid, write a letter and then, you know, burn it. The, the process of burning is, uh, you know, in my eyes, it's a ritual. We take something that's physical and we transform it. And, you know, and, and when you're left with a little bit of ash and, and smoke, uh, just like we have, you know, the remnants of our physical body, which we're no longer using and the spirit goes into the ethers. So does this message. And um, I think there's power in that as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, um, I mean, I I always encourage my clients to write letters even to the living. I mean, even if they never receive it or whatever, but I just I just like that, the act of writing. And even if you have to say some things that might not be, you know, so clean, at least you're you're getting it out on paper. And, and like I said, the, the, a lot of times they don't even have to be delivered. It's just more about um, you expressing your voice and... and you know, getting that out of out of yourself, and so I think you know, burning it is just taking one one step further, and it's very much a symbolic um, practice. And I think depending on where you're at in your emotional state, it can be helpful for in some instances. But yeah, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. So the um, Wait, I, hold on, I, I know. I know where you're going with this next, Jade. <laughs> you're going to ask me the dream? Yeah, you're going to be asking about what dream you would want? Yes. Okay, yeah. So I got a couple extra questions before we <laughs> I guess, sure. get a couple things in there. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing with the dream, like I want to say, wow, like that's, that's amazing. And I'm glad it was so powerful for you in your, your grief journey and to have such an amazing experience to feel loved, but also like voice that you love them. I think, you know, this is a very powerful thing that we can do as you know as just a human saying we love people there's something about that there's something about us vocalizing it i'm guessing sound right there's a sound of love that's coming when you're saying those words i'm guessing and like how healing that can be you know like so the dream yes like he's there and he's giving love but you're also in this space where you're not just taking but you're also giving love to him yeah yeah i didn't want him to feel any regret you know, mm-hmm. and, and I wanted him to know that I saw beyond the conflict and saw, you know, his love for me. And cause I, I know that he loved me and, you know, he, he worked hard to, you know, to express it as best he could in his own way. And in, in the, you know, perspective of time, you know, I can look back and, and, uh, you know, when I was a kid or a teenager and, and 
uh, angry with him for, you know, how things are and how we're interacting. You know, I, now I have a perspective of he was doing the best he could with the tools that he had. And, you know, he grew up in a completely different world and lived in a completely different world. You know, things just changed so, so much since uh, his formative years. And, um, you know, he, he, everyone's wounds and shortcomings come from somewhere, uh, from their own experiences. And, um, I just know that he did the best that he could. And, and, you know, also meeting his friends, um, and getting to know some of his friends and associates, um, after he had passed and the things that they said about him, you know, that was very healing for me as well to and reassuring to know that, yeah, he was a good person. You know, it's, it's not something I'm just making up, you know, is, um, that's amazing. And like, I want to say like how beautiful it is to hear that because it takes like some people never get to that point where they have compassion for those who've wronged them in different ways or hurt them. And it's like the beauty of it, like for seeing someone like talk about compassion or forgiveness is such an amazing experience for me. So thank you for being able to reach that because it's so inspiring on what you can do when you open your heart to someone and where you can go. And I think too, yeah. with you being able to resolve the conflict, I think it helped to actually have these dreams. And it probably actually worsened in the sense of your grief because you now learn to love this individual more than you ever had at that moment, right? And then they die. Yeah. Like it, basically what happened with yeah. my father too, right? Like, so uh -huh. I'm like, and then I see my siblings and they, they kind of had like a hard heart for them still, some of them. And so they didn't really have that grief feeling, right? The sadness and they're like, okay, whatever you said. Um, right, but when you have a really, yeah, they're not closed off, but it was nice that you got to reach that moment where you love someone and then they pass and then you, but you had that moment with them and you weren't as scared of it. Cause some people, if someone's dying, they run the other way. Like they want to get attached. Um, but you actually yeah. went towards the pain of losing, losing them and opening your well, heart at the same time. I think too, yeah. some people realize that, you know, the bird, like in me personally, like I don't want to regardless of how anyone feels about me, I don't want to carry like a burden of hurt and pain or like dislike towards somebody because it's like that person's gone or whatever. And then you're just, I mean, gone from the physical. I mean, they're always going to be here spiritually, but like they're, they're gone and then I have to carry that. So if I have resentment or like anything inside, it's like that's going to be extra baggage for me as I move forward in life. And I'm, I'm still here. So it's like, you know what I mean? I know it's hard, but, but I, I always think it's ideal and it's good for us to shift through that and have compassion. And, and like you, you understand that your father, he did the best he, he, he could with the tools that he had and to have that compassion and understanding. You know, not everybody's perfect. People literally do the best they can. And I think that's we do and other people do. And I think once we adopt that perspective, it takes it lessens the blame and the hurt and it comes more from a place of of compassion for ourselves and for other people everything becomes more gentle and far more beautiful from that place so i think that's so cool and i think to offer that to your dad allows you to offer that to uh, to all the other people that you encounter while you're still on this side and that's a beautiful gift people need that yeah yeah it, it lessens the burden you know, I don't have to carry uh, resentment for, you know, not having a the quote unquote perfect childhood or adolescence. And, um, 
you know, I can see beyond that from a more broad perspective or a soul perspective. And, um, you know, and it's the lesson in that is carrying that lesson forward into day-to-day life and dealing with people who are still here and those that trigger me. And, you know, it's a work in progress. <laughs> I haven't perfected it, you know, that, that letting go and, and forgiveness. I'd still find myself triggered by, uh, you know, various individuals in my life and situations. And But um, at least I have a perspective to fall back on to, you know, to put it into perspective, I guess you could say, to see things, you know, that there's more at play here and perhaps I shouldn't be so hard towards someone or hard on myself and, and to recognize when I am feeling uh, hard feelings towards someone else that uh, there is, it is a double-edged sword that cuts into me as well and, and weakens me and, and is a burden to me. And so um, if we can grow past that and and see past these things, we can, if not find direct solutions, we at least find some solace and a and, um, little bit of peace and uh, a letting go of uh, the feelings that um, pull us down and the thought circles that uh, pull us down. And uh, again, I, you know, I'm not saying this is someone who's perfected it by any means, but uh, the, the awareness is there and I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm glad you're working on it. And I got to say, too, um, with the story of what you just told and about forgiveness, you've actually done it in, to one person. So it's always, you said, like something to fall back on that you can do it to anyone. You know, like it gives you the sort of the realization that if I can do it to my father, I could do it to anyone. And so now it's like, so you have the hope and motivation that it's possible. Well, some people, it's still very difficult to even think of that. Um, but you've done it. So that's amazing, which means it's not that far from you. Right? You do Once you do one thing once, it's pretty, you know, like gets easier as you do it to someone else or the next thing. So I think that's amazing. And it also showcases, I want to actually bring this back to uh, the original thing of you pursuing music in general. It takes a lot of courage to join a band and to travel um, and to not know where your next paycheck is going to be. Um, so I got to say, like, even that small courage that you're developed there, it comes in when you're forgiving others because it takes so much forgive like so much courage to forgive someone uh, you and to even sit with them when they're dying so i think you know like your courage is an amazing thing that i'm when i'm hearing your story i'm like that pops out at me so man like good job with that i don't know how you cultivated that but that's beautiful to actually witness and you know and what you're doing with others and and helping them is an amazing platform and, and thing that you're doing and so I wish we had like longer time. Like I wish we had another hour and a half because I had like I think I had like fifteen questions I wanted to ask you, um, <laughs> and I just like kept checking them off. I'm like, nope, no, no time, no time. <laughs> so we'll have to get you back on here because uh, I know you also lost your mom uh, since since your dad passed, and we never really yeah. got a chance to talk to talk about that uh, that process. So we'd love to have you on again to talk about that and to talk about some of the other questions I had about your performances and like how you feel when you do this music stuff because i know krishna das talks about how it changes him um, and it changes uh-huh. his heart and so uh i know i uh the last thing i want to say before we move on to the last uh question is i'm guessing now because of what you've what you've been through in a sense of losing your father and allowing yourself to reach a point where you're you can love someone that's dying i think that's a huge impact on your singing and what kind of vibrations that you're putting out there because if I were to look at someone that would have said the opposite of you, I would say, okay, yeah, cool music, but the love's probably not there. 
Um, but for you, when you tell me the story, I'm like, that makes sense. That's what I'm hearing when I listen to your music. There's a sense of love that's being vibrated to me from wherever you are. And does that make sense to you at all? Absolutely. That's the essence of it. And, and um, it's uh, when I get to play the music, it's healing for me as well. And just like, you know, Krishna Das says, it changes me. I, I could have had the worst day ever. And, but when I get to sit on that cushion and be in that space and in that vibration with the music and with people to share it with, whether it's, you know, one person or, you know, an auditorium full of people, it doesn't matter. It changes me. And um, I get to, it's, it's grace. <laughs> you know, it's, wow. it's truly grace. Which is the name of my new album. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't set it up that way. But no, that's truly the feeling of uh, that, that, that it's like a, a, a truly, truly a blessing. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and I wonder, you know, sometimes, God, what did I do to deserve this? You know, I'm, mm. I'm not some perfected being and I'm not so pure. Um, but, um, I, some, something went right and I got to, uh, tap into something that, um, effectively touches people's hearts and I'm very, very grateful for it. Oh, I am too. I am too. All right, Jade, you want to take the last question? I know how bad you wanted to say it before. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, you're very grateful for it, and I think that's beautiful. I just want to say one thing. God, this is, this is. I want to drag this out for so long. I have so much stuff <laughs> to do, but I just feel like, oh, we could chit chat all day. But I think it's very important that you say, you know, you say, um, I'm here, and what did I deserve? Because um, you're not some perfected being, and I just want to say to you and to everyone who listens that we don't have to be. And sometimes I have those same sentiments of. Um, what did I do to to share my gifts with the world and have that opportunity and stuff and and um, you know I think it's just because you deserve to and the world needs it and that's enough. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So the last question I have is, we always ask our listeners if you could have any dream tonight of anybody that's passed over your father or 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 otherwise. Who would you dream of, and and what would that dream look like in terms of setting? Well, uh, if it had to be one person, I would say my mom. Um, she made her transition uh, in August of 2016, and uh, I've had a couple of glimpses of her in dream time, but it hasn't been as clear as some of these other dreams I had with my dad, and I just trust that it'll happen when it's supposed to happen, and I, I feel her around me, you know, all the time, and especially whenever I think of her or, or talk about her. But uh, you know, I still miss her greatly. And um, you know, even though I, I know she's not really gone, but uh, you know, just to be able to hold her hand and look into her eyes and just take her in, that um, I, it would be my mom if I if I could make that choice. And when you're when you're holding her hand and looking to her eyes, is there anything said, or is it just you know it's just that moment of being together? Yeah, it's just the moment of being together and and being in that loving space 
we would talk about, you know, things, events, and, you know, people, and, but there is an underlying uh, bond, you know, and, and she got to live, uh, she died just one month short of her 90th birthday. And um, I actually got to be with her the last two months that she was here and uh, stay, stayed with her in her home. And, and so she got to die in her home and, um, and be active literally, literally till the end. So I'm, you know, very, very grateful for that experience. And um, that's a, it's, it's amazing, a precious connection. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. Like you, you were there for both parents as they're dying and that you were given that gift to be able to be there. And I think that's amazing. It probably meant uh, the world to both of them uh, as they're transitioning and going back to this dream. Um, so I always like to go a little deeper, a little further into the settings. And so where would you want to be in your old house? Did you want to be in the forest? Oh, hmm. Uh, well, I love the forest. That'd be nice. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the forest. <laughs> cool. Last yeah. one. La- or cut there. Yeah, two more questions. And what do you want your mom to be wearing? Oh, whatever she's comfortable in. <laughs> she didn't have a favorite shirt or anything? <laughs> or you want to be a white robe, like a yogi? Uh, <laughs> nah, I don't think that's her style, but uh, <laughs> it's not as a, how I know her, but. She might be, you know, she might appear in that. She, you know, mom, if you want to, you can show up, we can wear whatever you want to the dream. There you go. No restrictions. That's no restrictions. (laughs) Well, I, I, I really hope when the time is right, that, that, that you are gifted with that dream. And I, it might not be, you know, exactly as that, but I, I, I totally agree with you when you say, you know, when the time is right and, and when it's meant to happen, then. That'll come uh-huh. around for you. Yeah. Last last question. <laughs> it's uh, so for the scenery. Would you want music playing in the background? Because I know how much music is to you. Um, would you want that playing in the background of the dream as you guys are holding each other, holding each other's hands? Uh, maybe uh, softly in the background. Sure. <laughs> cool. 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 <laughs> You're very specific. You know. I am. Well, I'm trying. To, I'm a visual guy, and I have a great imagination. So I've been. I'm in my own mind, like picturing this as if I'm like a third person watching it all, all go details. down. I want to know for our listeners how we can get, um, how we can connect with you. Social media. Can you give us our link? Um, and what? And we'll post them on the site too. But um, can you just give us your social media links? email and things like that if people have some feedback or they want to listen to some of your music how they can find you sure my website is uh, omshaman.com and that's spelled o-m-s-h-a-m-a-n.com and uh, my facebook page is matthew cosell cosmic throat singer and so my last name well matthew has two t's and then uh, cosell is k-o-c-e-l Cosmic Throat Singer. That's how you can find me on Facebook. Uh, those are my two main platforms. You don't uh, have you can, uh, I do actually. Matthew Sound Healing on Instagram. Great. Which I'm uh, not super active on it currently, but intending to change that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, people can message me either through uh, Facebook or uh, there's a contact uh, page on my website as well. Beautiful. And what's your, how many albums do you have out? Currently I have two. I'm working on the third one. 
and uh, I know there's a lot more music still in me waiting to come out. And where do you find that? Do you find it on iTunes? Right now, uh, my my second al- my first album's everywhere. Uh, my second album currently is just on my website. I, I will be eventually putting it out on iTunes and uh, other platforms. I'm not giving it to Spotify. I I uh, have uh, issues with the their business model and uh, how they treat musicians but uh, I'll probably I think I'll select one song from each future album to put on Spotify so people can find me and then uh, you know and I I give away um, free tracks when people uh, there's an offer on my website if you come uh, I, I give away basically an album worth of music some of it is live recordings it's um, but I get, you know, nothing wrong with that. I, I get really positive feedback uh, uh, from people that have uh, listened to the free tracks that I give away. And then uh, both of my albums are available on the website as well as iTunes, etc. cetera. Um, well, the second one, second album, sorry. Second album currently, as we speak, is just on my website. I will be putting out to other platforms. Um, so, Amazing. That's no, that's, that's fabulous. Amazing. And listeners, please go out and check out his stuff and check out his his music. It'll blow your mind. And it, I'd recommend doing it when you're not doing other things. Like really just sit and, and listen to the sounds and, and pay attention to how you're feeling and, and what comes up. So, Matthew, what was the track that's going to play at the end? The song is called Grace. And to me, it's a musical expression of the blessing that occurs when we open our hearts and uh, you know feel more connection to where we came from both from the earth and and from spirit and our connection to this life so i hope people will enjoy listening to this and uh, it's also the name of my newest album grace Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing it with the listeners and listeners. Yes, I hope you you know continue to listen to this and shoot them a message uh, if you want and, and tell them how it made you feel uh, and how it helped you maybe your, or what it brought up in your grief. I think that's amazing. So thank you so much, Matthew. I think, you know, just this conversation went on for another hour, uh, if not longer. So we'll have to do this again. Um, but yeah, Ernie's amazing and it's inspiring. And it, I think it, it shows to people may that they're, maybe they're not in their passion yet, but to not give up. Like there's these things that tend to happen that put you on the right path, even when you don't know what that path is. So just continue to have hope uh, in your journey and continue to make those efforts to, I guess, uh, cultivate more courage to be able to forgive uh, those people in your life so your heart can be a little bit more open. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for reaching out, and uh, thank you for having me here on your podcast. I appreciate it. All right, so to just wrap up with our stuff, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. And if you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group. You can check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Grief Dreams. And this podcast can be found on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. So as we like to say to wrap up this podcast with love and gratitude from us to you.